Welcome to the 100 Pounder meeting. Today is Wednesday, the 6th of April, and we're about to have a speaker, uh, Beck, who's from Suffolk in the UK. And um, she has been a part of Overeaters Anonymous since February 2021. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm delighted to have her speaking with us today. Beck, take it away. Thanks very much, Rebecca. Hi, I'm Beck, compulsive overeater. And as Rebecca said, um, yeah, I came to my first meeting in February last year and I had no idea what I was doing at the meeting. I just know I was at rock bottom and this was my last chance at anything like trying to be healthy because I'd tried everything else. Um, when I came, when I, I started my abstinence on the 23rd of March last year and so I weighed myself for the first time in a little while and I weighed in at 398 pounds um, and I was exactly double what I should be for my height um, so I thought about how I was going to talk about this today and I thought um, I'd sort of show you some pictures from different times in my life and show you how um, I am most certainly a compulsive overeater. Um, I was born January 81 and um, I, that is the only time in my entire life that I have been a normal weight. I was born at seven pounds, four and a half. And that is the only time in my entire life I have been a, a, a good weight for my age. So I'm just going to share this first group of images. Um, as you can see, top left, I'm about two to three. Bottom left, I'm age nine. And you can see by my face that I'm already carrying a lot of weight there. Top right, I'm, oh, I can't see. I think I'm age 11. Yeah, age 11. And then bottom right, I'm about the same age. And as you can see, not very flattering photos, carrying a lot of extra weight there. I was put on my first diet when I was five by the school nurse. And um, before that, I think I just loved food, sugary foods in particular. But once I got put on that first diet, it was a, then became a battle between me and everyone around me because I wanted to eat all the foods that I was told I couldn't have because they were bad for me. And none of the, I wasn't interested in the other foods particularly. I'd eat them because they'd fill me up, but I wasn't interested in them. I didn't crave them. But the sugary foods and the frist and anything that was a treat food, I wanted all of it that I could possibly fit in. And so by the time I got, let me just stop sharing now. By the time I got to um, age uh, 10, 11, I was swapping food in, in my, from my lunchbox with other people's um, I was actually got to the point of um, going, asking to go to the toilet, going down to the cloakrooms where the lunch, or everyone's coats and bags were stored as well as the bathrooms and eating out of everybody's lunch boxes and raiding their backpacks for their food because the, I knew they'd have food that I didn't have, wasn't allowed. Um, or I'd volunteer to walk to school with friends and then raid their, their treat cupboards because they didn't mind if I ate their food that they they were allowed to have whenever um, and if it was a day where their mum had to go shopping and their treat cupboard was empty 
I was devastated. Um, and I had no idea that there were other people out there that were going through the same thing as me. I felt so alone, so isolated and so ashamed. And then we'll move forward into my teens. And that was a tough time as well. Let me just share that screen for you. Where are we? There we go. As you can see at the top left, I'm age 14, very, very chubby. Age 16, very round faced. Uh, age 18, I was wearing size 26 clothes and I had a part time job. So I was able to buy all my own binge foods and I was able to buy more and more expensive um, clothes that I could actually fit into. I wasn't having to be wearing stuff that was much older than my age from a charity shop. And then age 19, you can see I'm six foot two, so much taller than everybody else in the photo. And the only one in my family who was more than slightly overweight. Um, my teens were difficult years for me. I was assaulted sexually twice during that time. And my relationship with my parents was not great. They were very distant. They weren't very supportive emotionally. And so food was my way of coping with everything. Um, it was my way of cheering myself up when I'd been bullied because I was bullied relentlessly throughout school. I can remember being in year 13, uh, doing my A-levels and there were year seven children right the early into their school secondary school life running after me shouting abuse at me because they thought that was okay even though I was six foot two and 18 um and so I just grew up in this particular this just constant shame uh, my mum used to joke and say I had an inferiority complex but I, I I did have an inferiority complex I thought I was terrible and everyone else was great and every time I tried to share about some abuse that had happened, it was dismissed. If I shared an emotion I had, it was, oh, don't be silly. Um, if I said somebody had done something to hurt me, um, either emotionally or physically, um, I was told, oh, well, you must have done, what did you do to deserve it? And so I couldn't, any emotions I had, I just had to squash them with food because that was all, I, the only tool I had was food. And I, luckily, I had very good friends who got me through high school because otherwise I, I, I think I would have uh, ended it because it was just so painful to be the one who was morbidly obese when everybody else was slim and beautiful and popular. Um, there was me and there was one other girl who was my size and we were both bullied relentlessly. And um as I said if it wasn't for my few friends that I had I wouldn't have got through it then I went to university um and that was the first time in my life I hadn't been bullied for who I was um and I but I struggled physically with all the walking between you know lectures in different buildings and stuff and um my my eating got a little bit better because I was making all my own meals and I was away from family and I didn't because at the end of my teens um when I was dating a very uh abusive in many ways fiance um I was eating my breakfast at home my mum would give me a packed lunch so I'd take that to school and I would eat my packed lunch on at break time 
then at lunchtime I'd say, oh, I've forgotten my lunch or I'd have money from my part-time job and I'd buy lunch at school. Then I'd get home at half past three and I'd eat snacks out of the cupboard, whatever was available. If there were sugary things, brilliant. If not, brown bread would do anything. Um, Or I'd eat sugar right out of the sugar bowl. Um, And then I'd have my tea with my family. And then I would walk two miles to see my boyfriend but on the way, I'd stop uh, halfway at a shop and I'd buy something like a pasty and a bar of chocolate. And I'd eat those on the way to um, my boyfriend's house. And then I'd get there and I'd say, oh, we, I haven't had my tea yet. Um, can we order something? And so we'd order another full meal or um, we'd walk to the video shop and we'd buy a load of junk food to rent a video and come back and eat it. And um, that was just, my food was everything. Um, And so when I got to university, I don't know why, but things were just slightly different and I didn't eat quite as much. But then I only did a year and a half of university and then I met my Mm ex-husband and uh, dropped out of of university and... um, dropped out of university and moved to Suffolk from South Wales to Suffolk and um, got married to my ex-husband and we had our first child and um, that brings me into my 20s and um, I had two children one at 21 and one at 23 and both have cystic fibrosis and so they were very very poorly as young children and again food was my lifeline I'd be sat by their bed in the hospital eating bar after bar after bar of chocolate and bag after bag after bag at sweets and hiding them when the nurses came in to check the children. And it was the only way that I got through my days. And my husband would be like, what are you doing? You know, you you, you need to stop this. And I'd, I'd say, you know, I'm not, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't spend lots of money on expensive things literally food is my only vice surely I've got to have something and it wasn't a happy marriage after about a year or so by the time the children came along it was not a happy marriage and um, so literally food was my only friend I'd had no family in the area I had some friends but um, food was what got me through each day and it was the thought of what I could eat the next day that kept me going through the next day So I'll just share some photos from my 20s just to show you. I've got to move you all over to the other side of the screen. There we go. Um, That's me and my my eldest daughter, and I'm age 21 there. And then you can see by age 26 where I've been in and out of hospital with the children and had all that alone time to binge. Age 26, which is top right and bottom left. I am huge. And I was about 29 stone there, which is just over 400 pounds. And um, that bottom left picture, I was doing a sponsored walk across the Severn Bridge, which links England and Wales. And um, I think it was about seven miles, the um, sponsored walk. And you can see by the colour of my face on that photo, it was not a pleasant experience. 
I was in agony and I was exhausted and everybody else looks absolutely fine. That's my mum and my daughter. Um, and then if you look across to the bottom right photo, that's me and my brother and sister. As you can see, they are very normal weights and I'm taking up most of the photo with my stomach because um, I was size 30, 32 and I tried Slimming World. I tried all the different pay and ways. I tried... Um, magazine diets. I tried um, um, weight management programs and nothing was working. And then that got me into my 30s. And in my 30s, share the screen again. I tried a diet called, uh, that was a meal replacement plan where you don't actually eat any real food. You just have milkshakes and bars and soups. And as you can see, I started at a, just up, uh, that was December, the, the top left photo, where I'm still size 30, 32. And then I started the diet in the May and um, the top right picture was taken the following September. And I'd lost probably about 10 stone there. And I was doing a sponsored run fun run with my daughter and that is the only time I have ever done anything that involved running I did a couch to 5k and I was able to um, do all the running I wanted and as you can see bottom left my I was much smaller than my massive clothes of my size 30 32 days and I thought as you can see that I've written at the bottom I thought I was cured because I'd found a diet that I could stick to and that would actually get rid of the weight and so I thought, I've cracked it, I'm perfect, we're sorted. But as soon as I then tried to eat like a normal person, um, I all of a sudden started regaining my weight because once I started, I couldn't stop. And at this point, I didn't understand anything about, you know, food addiction or compulsive overeaters. I just thought, you know, I just can't diet. I am broken. I am rubbish. What is wrong with me? And I was so, so ashamed because instead of just yo-yoing the same two and a half stone as uh, through all the other diets, I was, I'd actually lost a lot of weight. I changed my life. It hadn't helped any situations in my life. My marriage was still horrendous and my husband was still awful and my children were still disabled. And, and, um, I was still miles away from my family, completely isolated. But I thought everything, I wouldn't be magically happy because I was a size 16 to 18 instead of a size 30, 32. But no, I was still the same broken person on the inside. And food was still my addiction. And as soon as I tried to have a day off my diet for Christmas or for my birthday, I was gone. I was in the food again and it'd be, oh, I'll just have this week off. I've done really well. I'll just have this week off. And that would turn into a month, particularly as Christmas and my birthday are nearly a month apart. So that was, that was always binge season for me, regardless of whether I was on a diet, but I just couldn't get back on it because I didn't understand that abstinence is the only way to regain your sanity from it. And so, um, I got into my thirties looking great. And then I'll show you what happened as I got later on into my 30s after I started eating again. There I am, October 2019. I, by this point, was divorced and remarried with 
my little boy that you can see there, he's now three and a half. But at the time he was just over one and I had type two diabetes and um, I was severely anemic due to various blood conditions. And I was also um, at that point developing fibromyalgia, but I didn't know it. Um, and as you can see, I could not stop eating. I was bigger than ever there. I couldn't even fit in that chair at my mother-in-law's 70th birthday. You can see I'm, I'm falling out of the chair. And then I got married to my second husband, February 2020. And as you can see, look at my stomach in that wedding dress. I was so ashamed of my size on that day. And I desperately wanted to be this beautiful princess. But I was trapped in this addiction body that showed everybody who wanted to look exactly what my problem was and then we had lockdown and as you can see October 2020 that's me and my sister and my nephew um I, I was uncontrollably overweight I was binging left right and center and by February 2021 just as I was coming into OA that's the bottom right photo as you can see my legs are deformed that's partly through being morbidly obese, but partly through um, joint hypermobility syndrome, which is beyond my control. So it would have happened to some degree anyway, but my weight just certainly didn't help. And I was struggling to walk by then. Um, so I crawled into my first OA meeting uh, on my hands and knees, virtual meeting, obviously, virtual hands and knees. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea why I was, what, what the, OA was going to do what I thought it was just they push you into another diet and that was it I had no idea what I really needed was spiritual and emotional healing and so um, I went to my first meeting and my first sponsor contacted me and said that she, her sponsor had told her she was ready to start sponsoring would I like her to be my sponsor so um, I already had um, a higher power at the time. Uh, I was a lifelong Christian, uh, but being a lifelong Christian didn't help my food addiction beforehand. But I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but so, um, yeah, I, I prayed about it and I said, yes, I'd like her to be my sponsor. And so I started looking at step one. And the first question in the 12 and 12 workbook was to do an honest account of your eating history I've paraphrased phrased that but that's basically what it is and so that's what I've just done for you with those photos is I've given you my eating history and um, then I found step one was heartbreaking for me because it was I had to really look at all the times throughout my life where I'd been a compulsive overeater and I had to be honest and face up to that and it was I was so gutted doing step one and as I felt so ashamed having to write, read it out to my sponsor I thought nobody in the world has ever done this before I'm I'm the only one and I'm a freak and I, I hate myself but she identified with 90% of what was on my on my story and and I was astounded that I wasn't the only one and then I got to step two and um I I thought, oh, step two will be easy. I've got a higher power. I call him God and he's already, you know, I already give him control of my life. Then I read the two, step two in the OA 12 and 12. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, I've just been praying to him to let me eat what I want when I want without gaining weight. I haven't actually asked him 
to take away my food addiction, partly because I didn't know I had one. Um, but it was, I'd ne- I realized I'd never let God into that. It was always, no, that's my thing. You can have the rest of my life, but food is mine and I don't need you in it and I don't want you in it. And so I had to have a very serious talk with my higher power and say, yeah, I'm really sorry that I, I haven't given you control of that area of my life. And yeah, maybe you do know what's best for me in that area. And around the same time, I started doing two-way prayer through um, a workshop, an OA workshop. I think it was the early bird birthday party. They've been doing it for a year. And um, I went to this two-way prayer session and I was just astounded at the experience of being able to write a letter to my higher power and actually have them write back to me. And that taught me so much. And I think that's been one of the things that's kept me abstinent for over a year now is that I have this relationship with my higher power. Um, And step three was where I I said that I believed that I thought that my higher power could do that. And then step four was terrifying. (laughs) Um, Step four was where I had to um, write down all my resentments that I'd had over the years and why I resented people and what my role in it was. And then I had to do all my fears, why I was afraid of them, what God might want me to feel about those fears. And it was better than any therapy. And I've been in and out of therapy since 2005 due to chronic trauma uh, through my childhood, through my teenage years and through my adult life, both to do with my ex-husband and to do with having two disabled children who were frequently very unwell and needed a lot of support and it was scary being their parent a lot of the time Um, and being so isolated as well uh, because all my family is still in South Wales and I didn't have a very close relationship with my in-laws because we were all dysfunctional families my parents were dysfunctional his parents were dysfunctional and we were a dysfunctional family Um, And so it was just a a difficult situation all around. And um, so there were a lot of resentments, a lot of fears linked into all that. And so getting rid of them through my step four and, and then giving it to my sponsor in step five was an absolute revelation. I had no idea that I'd been it was like my my fears and resentments were on a they were like boulders. I was dragging them behind me. They were attached to a rope that was around my waist and I was dragging them along behind me and they were weighing me down with every step. And through doing my step four, it was like I unraveled those fibers of that rope and gradually I was able to leave them behind and they still pop up. I've got chronic PTSD, uh, complex PTSD. So I have trauma dreams. I have triggers and things, but in general, I have a lot more peace than I had before about them. And um, I actually lost my first sponsor around the time I was doing my step four or five. And um, I then had to find a new sponsor. And I I found my second sponsor, who um, is a wonderful, wonderful lady who um, brought me through the rest of the steps. Um, And I think step six and seven, um, learning about my character defects, that was absolutely very eye-opening. I mean, I had no idea I really had many character defects. Um, 
because I thought, well, I'm a good person. I haven't really done anything really bad. And, um, you know, I like people and I want I, I try even try to help people that I don't like, um, you know, um, what how many character defects can I have and how bad can they be? And then I discovered that actually I had quite a few, including ego and pride. Um, and it really it really opened my eyes to actually what a character defect is and why I had them, because they were my defense mechanisms, um, and how I could give them to God. And that was just, you know, earth shattering to be able to say, yeah, I've got these, but can you help me with them, please? And um, then to make a list, listing and making my amends, again, terrifying, uh, particularly as I had to make amends to my ex-husband. Uh, and I had to be vulnerable to him, which is something I didn't ever want to be again. But it's all about keeping my side of the street clean. And so I made those amends. And um, I'm sure he really enjoyed it. Um, but it, it was peaceful for me to do it. It brought me peace because I was giving up that guilt and shame over the, the things that I'd done in our relationship that I that had hurt him or that I wasn't proud of. And so by making amends for my half of it, even though he's never made amends or even admitted or apologized for all the things that he did, um, it just made, gave me peace to apologize to him for the things that I'd done. And again, it made me feel lighter. It was more of these boulders that unraveled from around me. Um, and so, I don't know how long I've got left, by the way. I'm not sure who's timing me. Anyone timing me? I'm sorry, I wasn't actually timing you, but I'd say, you know, continue. You're in a good place. Okay, right, okay. <laughs> I'll do that then. Um, timer. God is timing you. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll listen to him when he tells me to shut up. Okay um yes yeah, steps 10 to 12 are the ones that you have to live in every day and um it means I've got to complete my step 10 review every day and it means that I, if I get a resentment or a fear that I've got to work on it straight away and send it to my sponsor I'm now on my third sponsor because my second sponsor had to step down and focus on her own recovery so I'm now on my third sponsor but I'm very 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 blessed to have had three amazing sponsors who've done everything they possibly could for me. And so, yeah, um, I, all of a sudden I'd, I'd worked my steps and I had to start giving all these step tens to a new sponsor. And it was like, she's going to think I'm so weird or, or I'm not very nice, but you know, she just reads them. And, and the, the point is to get them out of my head to work on them and acknowledge them and get rid of them. And when I do, I don't feel I want any food anymore. And it's, they're just gone. Um, and I can't believe how well it works. Um, and I go to the two-way prayer session, five o'clock my time every day. Um, and that helps me keep my connection with my higher power, which is step 11. And then step 12, well, I'm doing step 12 right now. I'm sharing my story with everybody who is at some point in their journey, whether it's their first day or whether they've been in here for years. Um, you know, we've all got things that we can learn from each other and we've all got ways that we can encourage each other or just identify with each other because I've learned through my year in a way that everybody is equal I'm not better than anybody else just because I've got over a year's abstinence and I'm not worse than anybody else because 
Um, I've only ever got my abstinence for today. I can't ever take the eye off, off the ball and think, oh, I'm recovered now, I'm done. I haven't got to work this program anymore. And I've still got £100 to lose. I've lost 103 Oh, I'll show you my photos from um, this past year as I've been recovering. So April 2021, that's me. Um, I had been, I'd been abstinent for up to four weeks. I'm not sure exactly when in April it was taken. I'd probably at least two weeks. And I could finally fit into the 3032 coat that I bought for myself. Um, so that was my first victory of 2021 and, and of abstinent recovery. And then June 2021, I did a 5k memory walk for my my grandmother and my mum who both got my mum's got Alzheimer's and my nan passed away from Alzheimer's in 2017. And um, I had an accident in 2014, which caused um, complex regional pain syndrome in my left foot through nerve damage. And so walking has been quite a challenge for me since then. Um, and so a 5k memory walk was a real challenge for me, um, particularly at the weight I was at the time, as you can see from my face, I hadn't lost huge amounts of weight by then I'd maybe lost two and a half, three stone. Um, but I was able to do that 5k walk. It was tough and I live streamed it to Facebook and people could see exactly how tough it was. But I raised a lot of money for the Alzheimer's Society. And um, then if you go down to July, that's me at my son's uh, high school graduation. And as you can see, I've lost a bit more weight and I'm, I'm feeling so much better about myself. And then December 2021, that's, I'm a bit smaller than that now, but that's the best photo I've got that shows you my progress so far. Um, so I'll stop sharing that there. Um, I've got um, some big health conditions that that bring me down day to day. I've got fibromyalgia, which was triggered by my last pregnancy in 2017. And that got really, really bad in September. And my chronic uh, regional complex regional pain syndrome got much, much worse and spread throughout my body at the same time. So um, I'm now uh, in constant pain. Um, I'm on two types of morphine. I'm on um, a load of other medications to um, anti-inflammatories and uh, anti-epileptic drugs that help with nerve damage and all sorts of things to try and help. But I'm in chronic pain and I've got really severe fatigue, which is why I'm sat propped up by a pillow, because just sitting up takes so much energy on a daily basis. And just being awake takes energy. Some days I wake up and I'm like, no, I can't even stay awake at the moment. I'm going to have to just keep sleeping. Um, and if I want to do anything like this, then I have to rest beforehand. So um, I've just had a two hour sleep before this just to be alert enough to talk to you today. And I'm very much hoping that um, I'll be able to um, carry on and answer questions during your shares if possible and, and do the newcomer Q&A afterwards because newcomer Q&A is one of my passions in this program and from when I was 30 days abstinent onwards I've been a newcomer greeter in this meeting and the recovery from relapse one and in a few other meetings as well and I just love talking to newcomers about where I've been and where I am now and um, I've yet to meet anyone I haven't enjoyed talking to 
and um, lots of people still get in touch and you know if they want other support or anything uh, I've now got four sponsees um, I'm not well enough to work um, I'm being dismissed on medical grounds um, my husband is now my full-time carer so um, being able to sponsor and give service in meetings and over the phone uh, all through Zoom, no face-to-face meetings, but because I use a wheelchair when I'm out and, and so I'd need my husband with me to push me and blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, giving service over the phone or on Zoom, it makes my life worth living because it means I have ways of being import- in doing things that are valued by other people, being able to give back, um, you know, to share about my recovery and to encourage people in theirs. And it gives me a reason to live, reason to get up each day, a reason to, to look after myself so that I can keep going and keep serving because otherwise it feels like after 20 years of being everybody's carer and now needing to be that care, be that cared person who's being cared for, sorry, get muddled sometimes. Um, it's a huge transition. And without the 12 steps, it's not a transition I could have made. I can't exercise now at all. Um, and so, um, as I said, when I go out and I'm in a wheelchair and um, I've got to conserve what little energy I've got for the important things. Uh, like being with my family or doing service or going to appointments. Um, I can just about drive. Now I'm on all the different painkiller things. And um, so it's, it's, it's really blessed me that uh, the fact that I'm in a 12-step recovery while I've had all this, been blindsided by these conditions and there's no cure for them. There's very little treatment for them. There's no real improvement on the cards other than healing by my hair power. And I'm totally open to that at any time if he wants to. But I, I get the feeling that he just doesn't want, you know, he, not that he doesn't want to heal me. I'm learning through this. And I'm, I'm maybe giving hope to other people who are struggling, whether it's with mental health, I've got anxiety, depression, and as I said, complex PTSD, uh, or physical health. Um, you know, I've been there and I'm living that. And I'm still in recovery over a year later, despite everything. And I'm in contact with my higher power and I'm able to give him all my feelings, you know, whether it's anger or frustration about what I now can't do for myself. I can't even shower on my own. My husband has to wash me and I have a shower stall. And I was so ashamed of that at first, but my husband's not. He doesn't mind showering me. Yay shower together great he's he's happy um but it was a big humiliation for me you know not to be able to to help myself and a big thing you know pride and ego I should be the one who's caring for everybody else but I've had to accept my new role and the serenity prayer teaches me so much every day about what I you know accept the things I can't change and have the courage to change the things I can. And my higher power gives me the wisdom the wisdom to know the difference. And so I'm just so blessed through this recovery that I've experienced. And I hope that listening to my story has um, maybe inspired or blessed you in some way. So thank you very much for listening. Oh, that, that was incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, Strength Hope. Let's all give back a virtual clap.